0: The National Auto Dealers Association is one of the most powerful lobby groups in the United States. On this week's show, Wes Lutz, the 2018 chairman of the NADA, shares his views on the future of the auto industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy.
1: I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's show, all about automotive retailers, the dealers. And the reason we've got a show on that is because we've got the 2018 National Automotive Dealers Association chairman, Wes Lutz. Wes, great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Should also add that he's got a store that sells Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep. I think we'll get into a little bit of that as well. But I also got to say that joining us today includes Steve Finley, senior editor with Ward's Auto, and Michelle Krebs, executive analyst with Cox Automotive. And great to have the, both of you here as well. Thank you for having us. Wes, so much of what's getting talked about in the industry these days, not just with dealers, but the entire automotive industry, is this move into autonomous cars, especially what they call TAS, transportation as a service, some call it MASS, mobility as a service— What I'm wondering is, where does this leave dealers? If everyone's going to share cars and use ride-hailing like Uber and Lyft, where does
2: that leave car dealers? Well, that's a great question Um, because, obviously, we retail all of those vehicles or have uh, traditionally. Um, It's going to be part of, going forward, mobility for consumers, but we don't think it's going to be the end-all. The the research shows that it's much more expensive to use Uber, Lyft versus ownership of a vehicle, and I don't think it's a— it's, it's not a story that's being told in the media, um, but we're finding that, that customers don't want to give up their vehicle. They don't want to give up the convenience of owning a vehicle. So I think when it's convenient, we're going to continue doing it, and it's going to evolve. But I think ownership is going to be strong for years to come.
3: Do, do they see, though, um, mobility services as an opportunity for them or a threat to their business deal, uh, in terms of dealers? You know, it's, it's, it's it, again, the, the, the U.S. or the world economy
2: for the first time sold 90 million vehicles this last year. Um, it's the highest ever. Um, no, I, w- w- we've done a numbers of studies at NADA, and we just can't find anyone that really wants to give up their vehicle. We, we did a sampling uh, heavy in millennials and only 11% of the people in our surveys were willing to give up their vehicle. So I think it's gonna be a shared a, a shared platform really.
4: One of the speculations was that, okay, people wouldn't give up their vehicle, but multiple vehicle families might give up a vehicle. So a three car family becomes a two car family or even a two car family becomes a one car family. That would impact the industry wouldn't it it, it could
2: but um, the studies also show that for every mile done in say an uber or a lyft it it, it takes 2.8 miles to do what it did for a mile in a privately owned vehicle so again it's going to come down to affordability and convenience i think for that's consumers that's exactly
1: right you know uh it's estimated an uber or a lyft cost is about two to three dollars a mile if you own your own car it's about 60 cents a mile However, once you get to autonomous cars and you take the driver out of there, it's estimated those costs will drop to only 20 cents a mile. So, aren't you worried about maybe not what's happening right now, but take it out another 10 years? Well,
2: you know, you, you just would have to prove that to me, and there's no data to really support that. I mean, there's, there's, we don't have enough of those miles driven yet to know what the impact's going to be. Um, but I, I, I'll tell you, we've been franchise dealers for 100 years, and we're pretty competitive.
1: I I know you are. What I'm wondering is uh, mobility services are expanding exponentially. I mean, the number of rides delivered is is going up by the millions every single year. Isn't there a role for dealers to play in this? Because dealers are in every single community. And where do you put those cars at night? And how do you maintain them and clean them? Sounds to me like dealers
2: would be perfectly positioned. You know, I I think our business will evolve. Maybe we'll be more uh, service-focused. But I I also think that People just are not, our research shows that people are just not willing to give up their vehicle. So the other thing is, it hasn't been proven that autonomous vehicles are going to be safer either. And that's one of the big selling points, that autonomous vehicles are going to be much safer. You know, there's 37,000 deaths on on the highways last year, all tragic. And most of them are because of driver error. But, you know, what they don't tell you is, if you look at the statistics, I mean, I mean, I'll have you guys guess. How many millions of miles do you think are driven for every fatality? Many millions, probably, yeah, a lot. I mean, and I, I, I can't remember the number, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's 90, I think it's 90 million miles for every death. It's 340 hours or years of driving, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we, we just don't have enough data to support that, that this is going to be something that's going to actually benefit the consumer. So I, I think it's coming, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to it, but they're just we don't have the data to support the claims right now.
1: Yeah, I think you'll get that data anyway, because like you say, most accidents are caused by human error. And I think we can get by beyond that with technology. And some of the early data certainly suggests that they're going to be a lot safer.
3: Let me ask you this. A few years ago, you spoke at the Center for Automotive Research Conference up in Traverse City. Yep. That's where I think I first met you. Could be. And it was about affordability. To me, that sort of plays into this new mobility services. You talked about the challenge consumers have about affordability, uh, affordability of vehicles. It's not gotten better. It hasn't.
2: But if it's, if it's 60 cents to drive your own vehicle and it's $3 to take a Lyft or an Uber ride, I mean, that's going to play right into this. Um, the American public, I mean, the average cost of vehicles is $35,000 a day. The average payment's over $500 a month. Those are staggering. I mean, we lose sales for $10 a month in a payment. Um, the manufacturer is getting very creative with leases with higher residual values. So... I mean, it's a challenge, and, and that's a concern. That that is is really—that's like the tariffs were a huge concern to auto dealers because those tariffs would put a lot of extra co- cost into those vehicles, and
3: we're concerned about that. And at the same time, you have razor-thin margins, which are another challenge. So there's a lot of economic issues that aren't quite working here.
2: There are. The, the, you know, the—, the There's so much competition between dealers. And you know, that's changed over the years. Because when I first started in business, if you were selling a Dodge truck, you know, they'd shop you against a Chevrolet and a Ford. Now consumers shop you against another Dodge truck or another Ram truck. And it's amazing. My competition is my fellow dealers. So the margins have just been compressed. They're on the internet in in hundreds of places. Everybody can tell what we pay for a vehicle. So it comes down basically to location and service. which is good if you win. It's not so good if you don't.
4: One of the big buzzwords uh, these days is um, subscription services, where people can swap out uh, vehicles for a fee. Is that the real deal, or is that just some sort of fad?
2: Well, you know, I it, it started with a bang. But I never understood why the OEMs want to do that. My friends that are wealthy enough to drive whatever they want, they all have a sports car, and they have an SUV, and they have a sedan. So if you can swap them out, you're going to lose a couple of those sales. You know, I think for a certain segment of the population, maybe in a metropolitan area, that price is not really an issue. Most of those services are pretty expensive. Sure. And I don't know. If you swap out with another car, I, I like having my own vehicle. I keep things in my vehicle. I I, I like to know that I'm the guy that drove it, or I'm pretty possessive about my car. I don't know if I want to be swapped into a vehicle that's another used vehicle. Do do you know? Oh yeah, Yeah. well there's a whole industry of how
4: like, around with future vehicles when there is a lot more sharing, supposedly, the cleaning of them. And the, the materials the that would be more stuff. durable and like self-cleaning cars and stuff like that. So it could create a whole new industry.
1: Well, remember, you know, Hertz, Avis and Enterprise clean cars every single day. Mm-hmm. It's not as if we don't know how to do it. But uh, what I'd like to go back is the, the, the comment on tariffs. Because even though the North American Free Trade Agreement, now it's been replaced by what? The U.S., MCA. Mexico, Canada, whatever, USMCA, thanks. But there's still talk of tariffs on European cars and other cars coming from Asia. What are, what's, where's the NADA's voice on that?
2: Well, first of all, we, we are very supportive of this administration. They've been great for the auto industry. Um, they can drive you crazy, but but we're supportive of anything that makes vehicles more affordable and gives people more choice. Um, we were very encouraged with this Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Um, working on it, an agreement. We've, we've done our— I think the government has done the work with the, uh, the Korean market. So we, we're pretty optimistic that they're gonna go to the European manufacturers as well. Um, our study showed that with a 25% tariff, that that those vehicles would go up, even domestic built vehicles would go up about $2,500, $2,400. And a, and a German car or a European car would go up about $7,800. So those are devastating numbers. And to put that so that people that are listening can understand that, 60 month financing, on um, $1,000 is about $20 a month. So if you raise something $7,000, um, you're looking at a payment of going up $140 a month, which is a pretty substantial bump. So what would happen? People keep their car longer? They'll keep them longer. And that really, that, that, that negates that what we want to have happen to get more fuel-efficient cars on the road that are safer with more autonomous um, features that are safety features. So... It, we, we've, got to, we've really got to come up with a solution other than tariffs. We, we
1: talked about autonomous cars. They're a bit in the future, but electric cars are here right now because the law says thou shalt sell electric cars. <laughs> and as a result, we've got every single car company in the U.S. market coming out with many different models in about three years' time. How are you dealers going to be able to sell? I mean, I see this wall of electrics coming, and there's going to be some market for them. I just don't know if there's going to be enough buyers for them.
2: That's, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, the fact that they're more expensive, they take longer to charge, um, there's range, range anxiety. I mean, there's a lot of issues. Gas is inexpensive. We, as dealers, we really welcome—I'm I'm personally looking forward to electric vehicles. I, I think they're tremendous. There's a lot of good—and we've got a lot of new competition coming with that. Um, it's yet to be seen what the public is going to want to buy those vehicles. We hope they do because, you know, selfishly, there are 260 million vehicles on the road and I'd like to replace every one of them with an <laughs> electric vehicle. So um, the dealers <laughs> like the product and uh, we just need more of it. And there's not great selection in electric vehicles right now. I mean, you know, over 50% of the market's SUVs and trucks right. and I think there's what, one right. electric SUV on the market, right? And it's $100,000. <laughs> right, right.
1: Speaking of that manufacturer that's got the electric one, Tesla, um, they don't have any dealers. Their sales are going gangbusters right now. They outsold sixteen other different brands in the U.S. market just last month. What do you make of Tesla, and is it at all a threat to the dealer franchise system?
2: Well, first of all, I think they make great product. I mean, it's it's exciting product and it's great product. No, I I don't think they're a threat to us. I, you know. We're competitive by nature, and I I like the challenge. I I think we're innovative. We've got a lot of resources behind us, um, and they're having their problems. I think even Tesla has um, said, I think maybe on your show in in 2014, that eventually he's going to have a hybrid system where he's going to have to have dealers in the the market. You know, as they're moving to this $35,000 vehicle, um, mass-produced, that's, that's, a whole different, that's a whole different deal. You know, the average Tesla buyer, I've told, and I, I don't, you could probably tell me this, Michelle, it's their fifth vehicle. And, their, it, you know, when this is your primary vehicle, you can't wait to get it fixed. You can't have downtime because you rely on that. As a consumer, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But I think wasn't that wasn't that your show? I, I think you're absolutely right that uh,
1: Elon did talk about going to a hybrid system once they really ramped up, and they got to be at that tipping
2: point, just about. They do. I, I think they do. But I, you know, it's going to be it's going to be it's, it's be exciting with the new electric um, cars coming out: Audi, Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, Volkswagen's got a score of a lot lot of product coming out, so we're pretty excited about that.
1: Look, I added it all up, and the numbers vary between 80 electric cars to 120 electric cars, all hitting the U.S. market in about the same 12-month period. That's why I'm asking. uh,
2: Sounds like a a, a big sales challenge for the NADA members. You know, it's funny. In every market, the best product wins. And if, if it's a compelling reason to trade and to buy those, then I think consumers are gonna buy them. and I hope they do.
4: I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about with the uh, internet and you were mentioning that earlier, the competitiveness between dealers, largely driven by the internet, people being able to go on and chop without going from dealer to dealer. And he was saying, uh, a guy in the industry, that uh, basically every customer is a demanding customer. And my response was like, isn't that like business hell where every customer is a demanding customer? Is that the case? Do all your customers have these high expectations that are hard to meet? Well, I don't know
2: if they're hard to meet. I think customers want transparency. And, and I think that our industry could do a better job at looking how we serve consumers and customers from their perspective. And I'm going to give an example. In my service department... Um, customers bring their car and drop them off and we we have eight hours to get the work done And, and we have different techs that can do different levels of repair So we can't tell you your car is gonna get worked on at 8 o'clock in the morning because we've got a transmission guy on it um, You know, he might not get to it till 11 o'clock And so I'm always saying to our service staff call the customer and give them an update at at, at noon call at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, give them an update. And they hate doing that. And I'm going, if (laughs) you well, because they don't know when it's going to be. You can't really tell them. If they dropped it off overnight in our our night service, we can't really say it'll be on the hoist at at, at 8 o'clock in the morning, it'll be done at 10, because we don't know if it's going to get on until noon. And they say, well, we, we just, we don't know, we can't give them an answer. I'm going, but if you were a consumer... When you drop your car off, what's the number one thing you want to know? When's it going to be done, right? I want my car back. When's it going to be done? So we have to look at that. That's a great example of how we have to look at it as an industry. We have to call them at noon. Even if it's uncomfortable, we don't know. We have to call them and say, hey, we haven't worked on it yet, but we're going to get to it today. So those are the kind of things. I think in sales, consumers want transparency, and they're entitled. They deserve it, and good dealers give it to them.
3: On that same subject, they tell us when we survey consumers, They want more of the process online. They want—they don't mind going to—they want to go to the dealership, but they want to spend that time on things that they really enjoy, like the test drive or learning about the vehicle. They want to do the financing online. Where do you see that going?
2: Well, I do. I mean, everything—e-contracting has been a big thing where we, we can have people sign electronically and it balances it so we don't have errors. All, I think the whole industry is moving that way. There's a huge movement to get the purchasing time down. I mean, it's a two or three hours now to get it down. You know, we have a, a system in my store that's—we um, have people in and out in 45 minutes, insured, financed, prepped, driven. I mean, everything. And they're out the door. And consumers, their time's valuable. And they just—again, they, they want transparency and they want to be taken seriously. They want their questions answered. And I think, as an industry, we're going in that direction. We're getting better at that all the time.
4: Do you think that um, what Michelle just mentioned, with people using the internet so much, that it will change the staffing of the dealership in the front end, anyways? In other words, well, w- what will the role of the salesperson be if so much is done by the consumer before going to the dealership to essentially sometimes just pick up the car? You know, so what becomes the role of the salesperson? What becomes the F&I manager's job. Right. I'll
2: tell you the biggest stumbling point in doing everything over the internet is the trade-in. Because I can't tell you what your trade-in's worth until we see it. We just, we can't do it. We can give you a ballpark number, but we've gotta look at it. Because everybody looks at a, a vehicle differently. I have a used car buyer that all of my sales staff calls him to get an appraisal when he's not in the store. And he knows, you know, Steve doesn't look at the tires (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know, John doesn't look for scratches, and so you kind of know what somebody thinks is a nice car, or a clean car. Somebody knows that it's an average car. We have to see them, so that's been the I think the big stumbling point. But anything that we can do in advance, I mean, we you know ninety percent of our customers find our inventory on the internet now, and, and they know what it, it's mostly priced. And again, all of those competing sales models are are fighting each other out, and but we're all streamlining toward more more transparency and shorter delivery
4: times. Do you still have to sell the car, though, if somebody comes in Absolutely. after doing all their research and thinks, okay, I, I want that car like, right up the order? Well, it's, it's funny. You better know your product mm-hmm.
2: because when you have customers coming in and saying, I'll take a Ram pickup with a you know, 28S package on it, and that's an internal code that nobody outside of the industry is <laughs> supposed to know, and you look at them and you go... How do you even know that? (laughs) So they know what they're talking about. So you just have to have, I think, well-trained, well-educated sales staff because they'll find you out. But I I, I like the Internet. I think it's been the gross compression has hurt, but it's been good for our industry.
1: Wes, you sell uh, various FCA brands, Chrysler, Ram, Dodge, Jeep. Uh, we've just seen a lot of management change at the company. Sergio Marchioni, the chairman, unexpectedly passed away. Now Mike Manley has stepped in. How do you view the company these days, especially with Manley in charge?
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm the most optimistic I've been about Chrysler in a couple of years because if you remember, Sergio really was shopping for a partner for the last four or five years or three or four years, and it's distracting When you think, you know, you maybe are, I don't know if they did, but it seems like, you know, our launches got pushed back a little bit and we were looking for someone to partner with. They made a decision a year ago. I I think they made a decision. They're not going to find a partner, so we need to have a full product line. And so I'm very excited about that. And that was about the last thing that Sergio Marchionne did. Um, I know Mike Manley, and he's a, a smart guy. He came out of the retail side of the industry, so that's encouraging. And they, I just was in an FCA meeting this morning, and they showed us advanced product, and it's a lot of good Jeep product coming. That's exciting.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Jeep is it for them, that's for sure. That's the the big thing going forward, globally, in fact. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it is.
1: Let's go back to the subscription models, because uh, I don't think we've finished out that discussion. Because here's my question. How do you manage the inventory? Somebody says, oh, I want to subscribe to this vehicle for, I don't know, three months. Then they come back and say, here, it's back again, and I want something else. What do you do with the vehicle that came back? How do you make sure that there's something there for them to take that they want? I mean, it seems like it could, if, the, if it gets popular, this is a logistical nightmare.
2: I think it is. I, I don't have that availability right now. We don't have a subscription program. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's going to impact residual values of cars. There's going to be cars in the market. You know, again, I think it's like autonomous vehicles. There's not enough data to tell us where that. Industry's going I do think it's going to be on the higher end of the price spectrum though So it's not going to be I don't think it'll be For people that are buying a commodity to drive which is the
0: bulk of what we're doing
3: although, you know Cox automotive does clutch at the high end and and we have flex drive that's used vehicles and that's we've been doing it a few years, so you know, it's I, we think it's a segment of the population for mm-hmm. sure. I, that's interesting. I didn't know that used mm-hmm. vehicles
4: were mm-hmm. part of the max. That makes that a, a lot in of sense to me. Partnership
3: with a dealership, mm-hmm.
4: deal, big dealership group in the East Coast. Yeah. Well, I interviewed Sandy Schwartz, the mm-hmm. CEO of Cox, a little while ago, and he, we were talking about the challenge of the subscription program. If everybody wants a pickup truck over the weekend, you know, to do do-it-yourself tours or a, or a sports car, you have these surges mm-hmm. of demand that um, an inventory would have a hard time meeting. So do you see that as an issue? You you know, um, rental car companies
2: have been doing this for a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They have larger pools of vehicles, but it's basically a subscription because for for what I've seen, though, subscription, I mean, you could probably go to a rental car company and rent that vehicle for a pretty competitive price, and that's insured, and that's... So I I don't know. I I just think it's going to be... It's going to be expensive, so I think it's going to preclude a lot of the people in the market. Talking about uh, different sales models, Audi announced with its new all-electric
1: SUV, the e-tron, that it's not going to stock them on dealer lots. It's only going to be billed to order. So you got to go to a dealership, order it, and then presumably wait six to eight months for this thing to get built and come over from Germany. You know, Seems to me in the United States that's not going to work. Maybe it's going to work in uh, Europe or maybe in China, but I'd love to get your views on that.
2: Well, we're the country of immediate, immediate gratification, right?
4: <laughs> Is that uh, good or bad?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it depends on dealers. if you get what you want, right? <laughs> <laughs> because in Europe, you know, they don't stock. The dealers don't stock cars like we do. Um, we've been hearing about bill to order for like 100 years in this business, right? <laughs> I've been in it 42 years, and I think we were talking about bill to order like 42 years ago. <laughs> um, I will tell you that as auto retailers, you know, our personnel, our advertising, and our floor plan, our ex- interest costs are the highest three expenses we have in dealerships. So anything that would help eliminate some of the expense, I think, would probably be a good thing. Um, with the proliferation of all of these models too, it's very hard to stock everything. So it would be, in a perfect world, it would be nice to have people order vehicles that we could have a quick turnaround on. Um, But the industry just hasn't done it so far. Well, that because that involves changing consumer behavior, which I
4: argue is the hardest thing to do in the world. Mm -hmm. Yep, it sure is. Well, speak. you mentioned trade-ins earlier. I I remember you saying that you trade for anything you yeah. traded John Deere tractors, Harley-Davidsons, and even a boa constrictor a at one
2: constrictor. point. We had we needed, you know, we had to take something and on trade, we we had to we'll take anything. You know, that's that was one of the fallacies of electric vehicles, you know, for for the last couple of years, dealers don't want to sell electric cars because they're going to do less maintenance, they're going to do That's just that's just goofy. It's just it's just silly. We'll sell anything. I don't care what it is. We'll sell anything. And there's seventeen thousand of us that will sell anything. If consumers want it, we'll we'll find a way to get it to them. And have you had to deal with any used electric cars? Um, because you can buy them. They're screaming
4: bargains. Yeah. yeah wonder why?
2: <laughs> I know. Again, as a guy who really likes the whole electrification, that's distressing to me. Um, we've taken a couple in. Priuses, we, and, but they have good resale value. I mean, the hybrids are, are different than an entire electric vehicle. Um, no, it's, it's just it's a tough market. It's less than 2% of the market for hybrids and electric. So, um,
4: Well, a lot of the second or third owners are wondering, am I going to be the one stuck with the battery replacement, which is very expensive, and that becomes a big issue, so that's why the remarketing is difficult. I know.
2: We all rely on Cox. They seem to own every analytical on the,
4: in the market
2: to tell us what that where that's going. I'd say so far the batteries have proved to be pretty robust. Right.
3: But nobody knew.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, we're going to have to wrap this up. But Westlots, 2018 NADA Chairman, thanks so much for stopping by. Really great to have you on the show.
2: Thank you. I I I would enjoyed it. And uh go see your local dealer. <laughs>
1: Steve Finley from Wards and Michelle Krebs from Cox Auto. Always great to have the both of you on the show. Too. Really appreciate it. And of course, as I always say, thank you for having tuned in.
0: Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Board Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.